Malcolm X, in his seminal speech, The Ballad of the Bullet, said this, it's time now for you and me to become more politically mature and realize what the ballot is for, what we're supposed to get when we cast a ballot. On the Parlay in All Blue this week, we are joined by Dr. Tammy Greer. I should say the brilliant Dr. Tammy Greer, who is an assistant professor of political science at Clark Atlanta University. Now, when I say brilliant, what I'm saying is, is that she knows her stuff. But more than that, she is consciously articulate. And I don't mean that she just simply speaks well. Duh, she's a PhD and a professor at a, at a university. Of course she speaks well. But she's sure to make sure that when she leaves you, she leaves you with understanding, clarity, and pointing you into a direction that you need to go and learn more. And hopefully all of you will get what I'm saying when you listen to her. I'm sure you will. She's joining us this week on The Parlay to help us understand and walk us through what's at stake in these midterm elections, what's happening in Georgia, which is a battleground state and which can turn the U.S. Senate. Also, what is the political growth opportunity in terms of Black America becoming more sophisticated in its political maturity? And as a native of Galveston Island, Texas, she walks us through what Juneteenth should look like and what we should be doing on Juneteenth. So you're going to get a whole lot out of this episode. I want to thank you for joining us and welcome to this very important episode of The Parlay in All Blue. Dr. Tammy Greer, welcome to The Parlay in All Blue. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am glad you are here, and we are 33 days away from midterms. Now, this is different from the midterms that you, as associate professor or assistant professor of political science at at Clark? Assistant professor. Assistant professor. Mm -hmm. These are different midterms that you're getting ready to administer, or that my son, who is at Jackson State, or that many a freshman is like, wow, midterms is here already. It's like, yeah, when your parents dropped you off in August and said you need to study, is here faster than you think. That's right. So, well, uh, one could argue that both of them are the same. I can't believe midterm elections are here so quickly. No, I, I, I can't either. And we want to talk to you uh, a lot about that today. So just to step back and set the stage What is at stake during these midterms elections? So um, midterm elections is huge. It's almost as important, if not as important as the presidential elections. Most of us uh, are not clear that the legislative branch is your most important branch of government, whether it is at the federal level, state level, your municipal level. It is the body that make law. So Article 1 the U.S. Constitution is Congress. So you have the entire House of Representatives that is up for re-election, and you have a third of the Senate that's up for re-election. And then, of course, you have your state and local elections that are here. When it comes to the federal government for the midterms uh, for this year, since the entire House of Representatives is up, then this means, um, not to mention, um, seats were redistricted. 
after the census of 2020. So 2021, you had several seats redistricted. So you have some people who were elected officials right now and who don't have a spot in November. What happens in the House of Representatives, this is where your budget begins for your federal government. Impeachment lies in the House of Representatives. This is where you have many of the bills that have money begin with. You have a third of the U.S. Senate. Currently, the Senate is 50-50, which means there are 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans. And so you need uh, the vice president right now to break any tie. And right now, that's what the current vice president is doing, is if there is any tie, the vice president, Kamala Harris, is breaking that. Yet and still, with bills that have monies attached to it, you need about 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. So you need a majority. You need a supermajority inside of the Senate in order to get that. And then, of course, your Senate is where you have judicial nominations for federal courts up to and including the Supreme Court. You also have appointments to the executive branch. So any and everything that governs our lives begin in Congress, in your legislative branch, again, on your state, federal level. So these are super important. And you currently have Republicans in the House of Representatives, you know, gleefully saying that if they win the majority inside of the House of Representatives, they will begin impeachment proceedings for President Biden for we don't know why, just because they can. So these items, these issues are incredibly important. Thank you for that. I think that's a really good overview. So appreciate that. So where you're talking about the Republicans openly talking about impeachment based on, I don't know which issue, but, or what issue is coming up, but that's, I've heard that. And it's, it sounds like lunacy until it actually happens. The other thing is that I, I tell people is that all elections matter. Yes. And it's not my home state, but it is one of, it's my adopted state of Mississippi. As uh, the gov- current governor, Tate Reeves, was the treasurer and the lieutenant governor, and he's governor. So it's not like people just pop up, right? You, you've got to vote every time because people are building careers on many things. Let me let me ask you this. So with that breakdown of what's at stake in terms of this seat, so we're really talking about the legislative branch. What are some of the big issues that are resonating with with voters and with Black voters and women's voters or any slice it that you want to take? So a lot of the issues that come up with all due respect to my fellow citizens and fellow voters, are distractions. And I say that because the issues that matter to us on a deeper fundamental level from a long-term perspective is either overshadowed by uh, what I affectionately call foolishness or it is blown out of proportion to where it becomes like an all of a sudden issue. For example, for those that adore women and those of us who understand the importance of bodily autonomy, these elections are critical, right? So women are the only 
beings, because men are not, where there are laws and practices that govern your body. And I'm not just talking about access to abortion. Bodily autonomy is more than access to abortion. Bodily autonomy is whether or not I can get a medical procedure called a hysterectomy without having a physician try to talk me out of it because I'm still of childbearing age. Bodily autonomy is, again, whether or not I want to get my tubes tied, again, because it is a medical procedure. These are the type of issues I think that become distraction, well, that are not focused on in its totality because we have distraction by outrageous foolishness about, you know, rape is not real. And if someone is just so happened to be raped, then their whole body will shut down and not ovulate and this other kind of non-medical foolishness that gets the attention of media, which then gets played on social media, which again becomes the distraction. So I would um, say to everyone that there are fundamental issues that have to do with the Supreme Court is taking a case a case right now in this upcoming session that has to do with institutions of higher education that have decided to bring diversity to their institution. And so in layman's terms, whether or not an institution can continue to practice its own version of affirmative action, that is coming up. You have the current Justice Thomas in the Dobbs decision the, the decision that overturned federal protection of Roe versus Wade to say that we need to look at, you know, Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, is that still a viable thing? There are so many items that many of us born in Gen Z and later have the privilege of not knowing what it's like to live as a baby boomer or the silent generation when it comes to discrimination. And because we have the privilege of not knowing what that's like, we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know how systematically folks are unraveling those types of protections that we enjoy. So it's many. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I'm glad you said that because these things are happening right in front of us. And last week, our podcast, we opened up with the State of Black American, uh, John Moye, who's at the Urban League, was our guest. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought about in preparing for both of these episodes was back to 2016. And there was a meme of a photo and it was a black boy and he had kind of a blank face and it was sort of the, the meme. The, the caption was me of Trump wins or me of Hillary wins. And it was it was trying to say that it didn't matter. Like it doesn't matter who went. Well, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, if you like the January 6th hearings or not, it's there. The overturning of Roe, all of these things were at stake then. And so they're things that are at at stake now, and you you mentioned some of it, and, and, and I am surprised, well, we'll get to, to, to more about Roe later, but I am surprised that when I wrote down some of the big issues, so you talked about women's bodily autonomy, I also see a ton of restrictive bills at the state level 
but they're in Texas, Mississippi, Florida, potentially here in Georgia that are restricting a rollback of LGBTQ rights. Certainly after the horrific killing of George Floyd and just the sort of racial reckoning where it's like, well, let's, let's, let's talk about history. And so you could not find an Ibram X. Kendi book anywhere because they were all gone about, you know, anti-racism. And now all of those books are being banned and they have, that's, those are real issues there that I think sometimes it gets, I was surprised that of the issues. So I wrote down January 6th, abortion, CRT stuff, inflation, LGBTQ. You know, when conservatives have spoken of bread and butter issues about the economy, certainly people are talking about inflation and, and it's been less about gas prices as they've come down. But so many of these issues are around people's day-to-day rights. There's not a lot of sort of economic policies being debated so far. That's what I'm seeing as a a citizen. But this is your field. Yes, (laughs) right? It's conservatives are masterful. Whatever your emotions are, whatever your feelings are about conservatives, conservative operatives, conservative strategists, they are utterly in tuned with the human psyche in order to bring about their voters uh, for these issues. So, yes, they're going to say bread and butter issues because bread and butter to them is the issues that go on in their communities, in their neighborhoods. So, of course, they want to put distance between non safe, comfortable conservative ideas and the opposite, right? So if one would, from an overarching standpoint, and and for the listeners, this is not indicative of Republicans as a whole. At the same time, the conservatives that vote tend to be Republican and they vote consistently. So for those individuals who are conservative Republicans, there is some kind of way feeling about putting in the forefront items that tend to harm the emotions of white America views of itself. And so you have a tendency to to bring separation with literature. So you have this fake CRT, and I don't even like saying it because it's not real, (laughs) but we have this this fakeness of, you know, this theory that shall not be named because it offends the emotions of its constituents. And because of that, it becomes the distraction. So you have this as a distraction to get people out to not only run for office, but to be school board, to be on the school board, not only to run for office to be where county commissioners are that run the school board, as well as superintendent of education in the the legislative branch of your state, it becomes the distraction to do the action that you want. And that's why I say conservatives are masterful in this. They created a distraction in order to, to get people emotional about it so they can run for the offices that they want them to run for in order to change the landscape And again, to revert back before Gen X to the policies that were familiar or in the terms of the 45th president, 
when America was great. So it's important for us to take note that conservatives do not utter a word without a long-term strategy. Every word that is uttered and repeated in conservative media with and around conservatives is tactful. It is intentional to gear up emotions in certain communities in order to take action because there is a long-term strategy afoot. And if non-conservatives continue to be distracted by whatever the foolishness that is amplified, then you're going to miss the bigger picture. And when you miss the bigger picture, all of a sudden, quote unquote, all of a sudden, one day we'll wake up. And then when did that happen? How could a Donald Trump become president? How can you have a Supreme Court that is so conservative? It is as if all the, one could argue, policies that were progressive from the Warren Court, which was in the the 60s, the civil rights era court, then you're creating a court that is prior to that court that afforded 14th Amendment protections for the rest of us. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you said that long term thinking, I would say they, they are masterful in terms of the messaging and the long term thinking, but also in terms of the execution. So when Shelby versus Holder was decided Texas and North Carolina were out the next day with new voting laws and a whole lot of what we have now in terms of voter ID and all of that just came like it came like a a rush. Mm -hmm. So I I hope people are paying attention right now. One thing I do want to, to talk about, are you getting any sense from primaries, polling or just anything about what effect the many states introduced? new restrictive voting measures over since 2020. Is that having or or will that have, in your estimation, any effect on the midterms in terms of turnout? I don't know. And I say that solemnly. I don't know. I know that right after the Dobbs decision, Kansas came and voted against. I don't know because there's too much time and space between the Dobbs decision in June and midterm elections in um, November. And because of that time and space, it is the, again, distractions are able to come in and to seep into the non-conservative voter minds. And because of that, I don't know if that is going to be uh, one of those top of mind issues. I would hope that all of the issues are top of mind. Realistically, though, um, to have the one or two issues, I don't know how sustainable that is going to be for the voter to get out to vote. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about that, too. And I know many voting rights groups are working tactically. You know, I get texts all the time of have you voted, have you registered or what have you. And I see the effort, but I always wonder, am I getting those messages because I'm someone who's been been engaged? So for me, when I turned 18, you know, I couldn't wait to vote. That's a that's a big deal, you know, in my neighborhood, certainly my household that you could vote. And for all of the the utter foolishness and violence and, and depravity at January 6th, 
like this one election. My first vote, and I, I'll say it, was for, for Mondale. So I, <laughs> I, I lived my adult life in Indiana and Georgia primarily, and my first vote for president was for Mondale. So most of the time in Indiana and Georgia and most federal elections, I have been on the losing side of things. So when I saw that, like, this is, <laughs> this is, well, what, it showed a level of privilege and centering that I realistically did not know it existed. I have a friend who would text me during, we text each other every day. And he would say the 2020 election is going to rock and shock the nation because you could hear sort of the president saying he wasn't going to accept the results and all of these things. And sort of when that happened, he was, he's like, I told you, right. Having said that you talked about Congress being up for grabs. If Pelosi is not the speaker and it's Kevin McCarthy setting the agenda, I'm assuming that the January 6th commission would be over. Gone. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because Kevin McCarthy is implicated in it. So, of course, we're going to yeah. make that go away. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Are any of the recent sort of victories that the Biden administration has had around student loan forgiveness or the Inflation Reduction Act, are any of those things resonating with, with people? No. <laughs> No, unfortunately, no. And I chuckle out of sadness because it's not enough, right? This is what I hear. Right. It's not enough. The people that will benefit from from both of these actions, it's not enough. It's not enough to have 10,000 forgiveness. He should have done more. And with respect to that crowd, the previous president didn't. So why is it that the entire weight of your student loan is on this current president's shoulder when the former president couldn't care less about it? And then this goes to having a full understanding of the limitations of the executive branch. The executive branch, for all of the bravado, the fake bravado that the former president 45th president presented, the presidency does not have unilateral authority to do many of the items that the former president attempted to make true. And the former president was stopped when, you know, he tried to make such decisions. So this current president, uh, President Biden, gave as much money, one could argue, I don't know because I wasn't in the room, yet understanding the the thought process that I see, this could have been what is within his ability as the executive, that anything more than 10,000 needed to go through Congress. And even such that they are preparing to be challenged in court and could go to the Supreme Court of whether or not this was legal. So again, you know, that's not enough. The Inflation Reduction Act, that wasn't enough. The even when the former president the current president came into office and then there were additional stimulus checks. There were for parents who had children in Title I schools, you got food assistance. There was so much that this current president has afforded to people, especially those that were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. 
it's still not enough because we're finding more and more reasons to complain about what the current president has provided that the previous president wasn't even going to get close to. And I'm very curious. Wouldn't even be thinking about it. We wouldn't even thought about it. Right. So why are we upset? I, I wouldn't don't even thought about it. I don't understand. Yeah. 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 So I had the privilege a couple of years ago. I think this would have been this would have been New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, somewhere in there 2019. Maybe it was the first or second, somewhere around there in 2019 of being in Ethiopia and in the Addis Ababa airport heading back to the United States with my daughter. And on the screen was American News. And this is at the Addis Airport is kind of like a hub for a lot of Africans traveling back and forth, a lot of people going to the Middle East and then to Southeast Asia. So it's a lot of different. It's, it really is. So when we talk about diversity, this is truly global diversity. And so the t- television screen was on, maybe it was the BBC or maybe it was CNN, but it was of Nancy Pelosi coming in and, you know, becoming the Speaker of the House. And you could see people really engaged and you could sense the political sophistication. I have two questions. One, what is the level of sophistication of messaging from the Democrats to Black voters. That's number one. Number two would be, what is the level of political sophistication of Black American voters in terms of their power or not power or just what the vote can do for you? So that's two. So there's a lot there, but there's two questions. Democrats to Black Americans and Black Americans understanding their power in the vote. Sure. Uh, so I will take the first, the second question first, because that does tell into the first one. We as a whole do not have the level of political sophistication that I think many of us who have higher education understand the level and depth of those that came before us. And those that have a keen interest, particularly in history and political science, I think we are at an extremely unique advantage where there is a sense of nuance and depthness that is not there for the average American, let alone non-college educated American and Black Americans in particular. And part of this has to do with no child left behind left a lot of us children behind because you took critical thinking out of schools. Everything became about standardized testing. And if voting is not on a standardized test, then that's not something that's going to be taught in school. So unfortunately, the children that grew up in Texas under George W. Bush as governor with some of these the inception of what came to be No Child Left Behind. So those students that were just in Texas and then when he became governor, um, president, that extended through, again, Congress to pass it into law. Then it became a, a thing throughout the country to incentivize schools to move away from educating to practicing to the test. And because of the unique 
messed up history that Black folk have in the United States and its territories. It is not uncommon for us to talk about voting and governing as the other. The government said, the government said, without a full appreciation and understanding that people make up government, that we all have input in this republic to create a democracy. Because of the history, recent history, I say often my grandmother had birthed all of her children, all of her children, let me say it again, all of her children before she had the ability to vote. And I don't know if there's a full appreciation for that because what we tend to do is we tend to write off many things as conspiracy. Well, the conspiracy is the true thing, right? Because we don't know. And I think what happens um, from a conservative standpoint, conservatives are fantastic at throwing these firebombs and then walking away and allowing us to stew in conspiracy theories such that we continue to have a mistrust of government. And to all that are listening, if there's nothing that you take away from, from what I said today, the simple notion that someone is attempting to derail your participation in this republic means they understand your power in this republic. They fully appreciate how much power you have. So they are intentionally creating mistrust and distrust and attempting to convince you that you don't have the power. So why even participate? If someone has to go through that much effort, then you have so much that they are afraid of. And so I implore you to do a little bit more to understand that you have a tremendous amount of power. Black folk in this country have a tremendous amount of buying power. Many corporations make a profit because of the monies that Black folks spend on their products. If you have that much economic power, imagine your political power. Right. So as it pertains to the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi, I'm just going to put it out there. Nancy Pelosi is an amazing speaker, an amazing speaker. Nancy Pelosi, there is no other Democrat in the House of Representatives that could have the audacity, the tenacity and the skill and will to do what she did the last two years of Donald Trump's presidency. And that can be argued, and I I still will stand firm on it, right? The um, issue, though, that for the sophistication from Democrats to Black folk is that Democrats talk to Black folk in a manner that we are boiled down to uh, a few key issues. Crime, right? That's like, that's number one. That's all we know about. And all we know about is some type of welfare reform. Um, Number one, I take issue with welfare because corporations take more welfare than the average person does. Anyway, so um, the and because we are talked to in those spaces, it can seem demeaning and demoralizing that all I am is a criminal justice issue or all I am is a social welfare issue. 
So if Democrats are interested in getting more Black people to come to the polls, Democrats need to start talking to Black people as if we are actual people who have retirement plans, who are homeowners, who have children who are interested in a full education, who are interested in environmental matters. There are so many things Democrats can talk to us about. Why am I only a welfare justice case? Yeah, uh, I am really glad you said that, especially the environmental one is something that I have I am on under penance for for totally missing when I would be asked to be on sort of boards, not for profit boards or what have you. I had an opportunity to participate in some environmental groups. and I said, no, I want to do something black. <laughs> not knowing that the environment and environmental justice is nothing bigger than the help of people. I, I just totally missed that. So, that you know, I'm guilty of it, too. As I want to move on, I do want to follow up or just put a couple of things out there in terms of the welfare thing. I'll just use this anecdotally. Tesla, with the amount that the government provided to Tesla as a corporation for the experimental technologies and grants would not have existed for its first eight years. It just would not even be a company right now if it were not for government grants, government subsidies, government tax, tax cuts, all of the, it just would not exist. Mm -mm. The other thing is, and and this is really important as- I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I apologize. And Elon, Elon Musk would not be as fantastically rich as he is, but for, right? So- Yes, that's all the government. And, and and if you don't believe me, just look it up. Just just add, as I say to everybody, listen, look it up for yourself. I listen. I try to bring on people like Dr. Greer, who are the experts. But do do your research, as they say, and you <laughs> you figure it out. And the other thing is is around public education, and it's really happened. And 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 you know what I've seen since the Reagan administration through Bush through through everybody is. In corporate terms, what we have now for most public education is what would be called a minimal viable product. Just what's the least we can do? So take away the music, take away drama, take away a lot of long form reading. Let's not have librarians. You know, you have schools that share. You have three or four schools sharing a librarian as if that's not a job, a profession. It takes skill. It takes know how to get. And so we've been defunding education for 1980, what's 1980 to now is what, 42 years? We've been defunding education steadily for a while. Now, having said that, and I appreciate everything you said, now we're both in Atlanta and Atlanta for Black America is the place. So rather than get therapy, I'm just going to move to Atlanta. As you know, what it ain't going right here in, you know, St. Louis, Chicago, Oakland or whatever. You should go get some therapy, man. Talk to somebody. Now I'm just going to move to Atlanta. Black Panther is filmed here in Atlanta. Tyler Perry is filming a hundred different projects a month in Atlanta. Atlanta is the place where black Americans who have an NFL team come to see their home team. They come to see their home team here at the Mercedes Dome. So listen, Atlanta is a big deal in Black American. Atlanta is in Georgia. Duh. So when I woke up to Thursday, and I think I may have had, um, maybe I saw Wednesday night on the website, 
And I saw the headline, and I'm looking, so I want to get it right. Thursday's Atlanta Journal-Constitution, AJC, said Stacey Abrams has a surprising problem with Black voters. And we are 33 days away. The polls show that she is trailing. I don't understand the polling, so we can get into that. But either way, there's a problem with Black voters. And then lots of national coverage is picked up on on that sense. So she is trailing Brian Kemp in the polls. And Raphael Warnock is either tied with or behind Herschel Walker. First off, does Stacey Abrams have a problem with Black voters? Yes. First, I I adore that you started off with the perception of Atlanta. I, I I think yes. that that's very interesting yeah. because we do, we have a false understanding of what the city of Atlanta is and for Black folk. Black folk in Atlanta are not doing well. And we should that's be right. honest w- about that. We have to be honest because the perception, the false perception moves into being surprised at that AJC headline because those things don't match each other, right? Atlanta is, is you know, the average Black family in Atlanta makes $34,000 a year. And the average white family in Atlanta makes $120,000 a year. That is tremendous. We're number one for income inequality. It, income yeah, that's inequality. the huge gap. That's $90,000. Not only is it income inequality, it is the conditions of school where these Black babies go to. It is also that Black children in Atlanta, um, it, born in a particular poverty rate, end up staying in that poverty rate as adults. And this is systemic. This is absolutely systemic. So um, that part. And once we appreciate that part, then moving, one could argue that the level of non-progressive economic, social, and political progressiveness of Black folk in the city of Atlanta under all Black leadership for the past 50 years can have us an impact on how Black folk then view Black folk running for office long-term in in big races. So Stacey Abrams, according to this poll done for the AJC through the University of Georgia, has um, an issue with Black folk. In 2018, nearly or over 2.5 million Georgians did not vote in the 2018 gubernatorial race. 2.5 million these people were registered to vote, yet did not vote. They had the legal ability to vote and did not. Of that 2.5 million, about 960 of that were Black people. 960,000 Black people, almost a million Black people in the state of Georgia were registered to vote and did not vote in 2018. 13% of Black men who voted in 2018 voted for Brian Kemp over Stacey Abrams. Only 44% of Black men voted in 2018. 56% of Black women voted in 2018. Stacey Abrams had a problem with Black folk in 2018. I know. I'm glad you said that. Yep. 
Yep. So the question is, you know, you had um, over the course of the last 10 years in Georgia, you've had over a million people come to Georgia and a substantial amount of that were non-white individuals, yet and still, yet and still. So the the challenge that I think uh, that comes about is, I think one has to do with Stacey Abrams being a woman in a in an area of the country that is very religious and Christian in its values, who view paternalism as a thing. And I say that because of yeah. the track record of those that are elected statewide in Georgia, elected statewide in Georgia. You only have one person who is not a white man. And, well, you have elected one white woman was elected to a public service commission. And then one black man was appointed by the current governor. Yet every other, every other, every other statewide position Every other statewide leadership position in the state of Georgia is to a white male. So Stacey Abrams has a woman problem as well as a black woman problem uh, being in the state of Georgia. And so my analysis is that there has to be an understanding that you have a rising Latino population in Georgia you have a rise in AAPI population in Georgia. And so it is more than just the Black problem. It is a constituency across the board. And if I could be so bold to say, Georgia was more than competitive in 2018 because actually in 2008, I predicted that Georgia would flip for the presidential race in 2016. I'm 2020, sorry, 2020. The thing is, is that I suspect, and I will be so bold to say, that there are more non-conservatives in the state of Georgia, in the United States, than there are conservatives. It's just that conservatives consistently vote, right? You have such large swaps of people who are not participating And I would bet dollars to donuts, those people would not vote for conservative Republicans. Yet and still, as to your previous questions about Democrats and their sophistications of Black voters, I think that there's a complete disconnect. And there there are so many constituencies that Democrats attempt to talk to as an individual, rather than understanding that there are big issues, healthcare, healthcare here in Georgia, you have um, urban areas and rural areas facing healthcare challenges with having no um, or diminishing healthcare facilities, not enough healthcare personnel. That affects rural and urban areas. You can talk to both about the same, but we're not doing that. We're going to CRT, right? And right. then we're defending or talking against that. We're talking about other issues that again are distractions rather than speaking to people in those bread and butter issues to get them those true bread and butter issues to really get them motivated to vote. 
Yeah, um, we had just in Atlanta, almost in the last two weeks, the Atlanta Wellstar, the the mm-hmm. the Wellstar closed the trauma center right in the center of town in the in the heavily gentrifying area, but it still serves a whole lot of black people in that area, and it closed down. That's a that's a that's a bread and butter health care issue. I don't know what the quip was, and we started at the beginning talking about Dobbs, but Brian Kemp who's running for governor, whether it was off the cuff or what have you, said that, you know, I'd consider, it depends on what the legislation wants to do about contraceptive, contraceptive, access to contraceptives, which is kind of the next step. And for me, it just seems like I'm not hearing that as a drumbeat or alarms for people. Those two things, not having a hospital, and being able to be serviced if you are sick or need health care. Not only are we not stopping at overturning Roe, we're going to turn off access to contraceptives. It would seem like I would have been expecting just to just hear that nonstop. And it's been kind of quiet around that. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm concerned. But I also will say and, and I'm glad you said that about Atlanta and Georgia as a whole, because we we really suffer from exceptionalism, meaning there are some people here who are doing very well that are black. You can see it. You know, you go to go to the, the new edition was here. I just saw Wu-Tang and Nas, you know, so you can see, you know, we were, hey, we popping bottles and what have. But that ain't everybody. No, that ain't everybody. And everybody's not engaged. I did not know that number 960,000 registered and could have voted didn't I, that's that's a that's an alarming number but you know to that to that point though about the sophistication why why are conservatives going to vote for Herschel Walker i don't think that anybody is looking at Herschel Walker and looking at him as the next great statesman i don't think that anybody sees that i mean no matter what he does he's right there neck and neck control of the senate If Herschel Walker wins, the Republicans get control of the Senate. Mitch McConnell potentially will become Senate majority leader again. And Mitch McConnell, for all that one can have emotions about, is masterful at politics. He is masterful. He is is the reason, the sole reason Donald Trump in four years was able to put more federal judges on as a lifetime appointment. Let me say that again, a lifetime appointment. Let me say that again, lifetime, their entire life. There is no expiration date. These folks can be on the the bench their entire lifetime on the federal court. Mitch McConnell helped to put more federal judges on the court than Barack Obama was able to in eight years. So Donald Trump had four years, half the time, well, yet was able to put more people on the federal bench. Same thing that goes for um, for the three Supreme Court justices. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, Republicans are all in for Herschel Walker and they're all in for Herschel Walker because they want the majority. And Herschel Walker winning will give Republicans 51 votes. It's a means to an end, and they, they definitely have some end in mind. There's someone who seems to be on the on the ballot nationally, but isn't. Who is Governor Ron DeSantis? Mm. 
Governor Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. He became governor after his win over Andrew Gilliam in 2018, the 2018 election. Governor Ron DeSantis is very friendly with Matt Gates, who is very friendly with Andrew McCarthy, who is very friendly with Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis is a very interesting person. He is very bold in his conservative politics. He has threatened Disney to take away their tax-exempt status, which he might. He has threatened professional athletic teams with taking away a lot of their tax exemptions. Governor Ron DeSantis, when he was running for governor, and this is, again, goes back to whether or not we pay attention to real issues or we get distracted. When Ron DeSantis was running for governor in 2018, on the, at the same time on the ballot in Florida was whether or not former offenders, particularly former felons, were able to get their voting privileges reinstated. And that was on the ballot. And that needed 60, 60% of the vote. And it got it, which means that it, it became law by Florida's law, right? Yet, Ron DeSantis and other folk who were running for their legislative branch and for statewide positions openly and boldly said that they were against that particular measure and that if they won, they would do everything they could to overturn it. And guess what they did? They've been working to overturn it. Ron DeSantis can seem like a meek person, which makes him even more dangerous because he is not so out there with his politics that you become afraid, yet you should be afraid, particularly if you are a woman (laughs) and um, you don't have a pristine past or a lot of money in your bank account. Yeah. You know, and and he um, he's I will say this, he's beginning to step up the boldness with the stunt he pulled in sending those uh, Venezuelan migrants to Martha's Vineyard, which is, you know, as a country, when there's a tragedy that happens or something like that, we say this is not who we are. But things like that are pretty consistent in American history in one way or another. So that's um, that's um, that's 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 for another time. What's been your journey to this work? So um, for me, I worked in so many different arenas. It's really a shame when I stop and think about it. But I, the biggest thing that happened for me was I worked very at a very young age in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And um, as long as I can remember up until that point, my thought was that I always wanted to be a warden. Why? Because the first warden that I saw in person was a Black woman. And that was mind-boggling to me at 15. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I don't know why other than that, right? So the importance of, of imaging. And when I started working at the prison, I realized that, and I started working with some of the, the people that, you know, be, were the residents, is that their journey to get to be incarcerated came from a handful of issues, lack of education, yet many of them were extremely bright, extremely bright. Those that did have education, their communities were not ideal. 
worse than ideal. Some of the items that they've seen at a young age was just horrific to me. And so in some of them, it was obvious that they were extremely sad in their heart from a lot of trauma. Not to say that some of them, you know, you need some type of separation from society yet instilled for me. I saw from a foundational level, some people just ended up there and situations and circumstances led them to there. And I realized that incarcerating people all the time is actually not helping society. And I thought that policy can be helpful in this space. However, the space that I was in was reactive and I wanted to be proactive. And so my journey um, and my purpose in life is to teach others about systems and structures of government, to advocate for policies that help people from a fundamental long-term standpoint and not just, you know, a short term um, that make you feel good in the moment. That the journey, um, that the work is is long, it's exhausting, yet and still there are amazing, fruitful benefits at the end. And I have that as my North Star. So my journey to here is that the conditions of many of us out here, sometimes it's like this because we don't know. And there are times where systems and structures want to keep us from knowing. And I am going to be that little girl in that that parable that is going to consistently be on the beach throwing those starfish back in the ocean because it's somebody is going to be saved. And I want to be that person to help. That, that's awesome. What's your favorite course to teach at Clark there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, um, <sighs> okay. So right now at this it moment, Yes. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Because, you know, it's yeah. more for me, my, uh, yeah, one, yeah. <laughs> one of my favorites is state and local government to open the eyes of folk to understand the criticalness of state and local. The class that I have quote unquote fun with is urban politics and policy, because what I tend to do is have a particular city to be the focal point of the entire semester. So we all get to learn about that city or a, a community within the city. And currently I'm teaching a class on social movements and pressure groups and to understand how social movements and pressure groups can be impactful because I'm writing a book about social movements. So I'm finding this to okay. be great. Yeah. Awesome. You may have answered this, but I'll, I will ask it to make sure that, that we got it is, what does it mean to live well? To live well means that you are living your life with joy. Living well means that regardless of the space that you've chosen to be in, at the end of the day, you smile because you did good. Living well means that every day is no harm done to you or to others. And whomever looks to you, whether it's your children, whether it's your siblings, whether it is a stranger on the street, that other person looks at you and says, just like that. I want to strive to be just like that. 
to me, that's living well. Awesome. Awesome. Now, as we close, you're from Galveston. Is that right? Galveston, Texas? Galveston Island, Texas. Yes, Galveston, Texas. <laughs> Galveston Island, Texas. Yes. Okay. And is, is that where Juneteenth started? Yes, it is. Amongst other things. Yes. Juneteenth. Yes. Yes. Amongst other things. Okay. Yes. What are some other things? Because I want to go to Juneteenth, but I, I want to give Galveston this shine. Yes. Okay. So Galveston is the home of the first post office in the state of Texas. Galveston is the home of okay. the first black Catholic church in Texas. Um, my home church. Galveston is the home of uh, what used to be the Wall Street of the South prior to the 1900 storm. It has the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest sidewalk in the world. Galveston is home of many athletes and entertainers. So Galveston is a small place with a humongous heart and has survived so much. So I love Galveston. Galveston, yes. And, and Galveston is uh, the home of Jack Johnson. Yes, it is. And uh, Ken Burns' Unforgivable Blackness is uh, for listeners, if you want to look at a documentary. And Wynn Marcellus has a great soundtrack to that. So now back to Juneteenth. Yes. Because it's a new, I think it was the first, this past year was the first yes. time there was a federal holiday. Correct. So, None of us outside of Texas knows yeah. how to celebrate Juneteenth. No, no. So <laughs> what, do, what does Juneteenth look like, sound like, what's on the table, and what's in the cooler? What, what, what should we be doing? So Juneteenth uh, was actually a state holiday in 1980 in Texas. So, it was, um, so if you are a state employee, that's a, a holiday for you. So for those, just to be clear, those that don't know what Juneteenth is, Juneteenth is a June yeah, 19, yep, yep. 1865, uh, a year and a half after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by President Lincoln. Then word came to Galveston on what is now 25th Street and Broadway, where there's a monument there for the reading of the Emancipation Proclamation. And so Juneteenth is the celebration um, in the state of Texas that those former slaves, well, at that time, form, um, slaves in Texas were, quote unquote, free by the Emancipation Proclamation. So that's Juneteenth. So what we tend to do, obviously, we have parades. So our schools, even though our schools are not in session, our schools have huge parades. We tend to understand and go around Galveston to historical markers for almost everything there is historical, to, you know, pay homage. Uh, the parade usually goes by my grandmother's house, so all we have to do is go to my grandmother's house. So obviously we have Texas barbecue. Uh, Texas barbecue is the best barbecue, by the way. I'm not arguing with anybody about that. It just is. <laughs> Memphis might have something to say about I'm, I'm Kansas City, but we, we keep going. All right, all right. I, I want to be polite to the guests. So, but you know, there are going to be other people that come on that's going to make that claim. But okay, we're going to go with Texas for today. You need to go to Texas for some real barbecue. Um, uh, we have okay. you know, celebrations in the park. So, you know, it's almost like a big gathering where everyone gets together. So we have barbecue, fruit. Of course, you know, at that time, uh, what has been quote unquote traditional is 
you know, strawberry soda or strawberry Kool-Aid or something like that to, to drink. And then we have a plethora Amen. of music. Yeah. And what's the, give me, give me, give me some, some Juneteenth. What, what's the, if you were, if you were programming the Juneteenth playlist at your grandmother's next year, what would be on it? What would be on the playlist? Just okay. a few. You know? Yeah. So for me, um, Stevie Wonder, uh, Songs in the Key of Life, at the whole thing. Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm with that. That's one. That's one. Um, my dad always, you know, uh, you know, I didn't understand why everybody else didn't understand Gil Scott Heron, and the revolution will not be televised. Um, so that has to be. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, we, uh, yeah. that there, there's a mix too, because I'm generation X. So, you know, we'll get some public yeah. enemy on there. We'll get some Talib. Oh man. Yes. And you know, yes. B- just because we right next door, we have some Zydeco at the end of the day to get us all going. Hey, you know what? I might have to go to Galveston, so I have no quorum. I don't have any quorum with the barbecue. I'm in Chicago, and you know we we got some things, but this is listen. I'm not trying to get in that fight. I don't have any quorums with the the uh, the barbecue and the playlist is immaculate. Thank so you, thank you, thank you. I'm there. I'm there. I am there, and so that that is awesome. But what I am taking from this, in all seriousness, is that. We need to celebrate. We need to be celebratory and we need to remember at the same time. It's not a solemn day. It's a, it sounds like a celebratory. That's awesome. Yes, it's a celebration. And I hope that we all celebrate and then understand there's a huge journey from then to now. And so just imagine where we can go from now to the future. And with that, we will we will we will end it there because that has been perfect. I so appreciate your time and insight. When we were conceiving this season, we definitely wanted to have you on for this time. With 33 days out from the midterms, I hope that people really heard you on so many points around sophistication and not going for foolishness and messaging and and just in the, even about education. There was so many nuggets dropped there. I really appreciate you. All the best to you and everybody on the faculty at Clark and all the students. And just, just it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a good time with you. Awesome. Everybody else wants you to stay tuned for, you know, the outro and, and where to connect to us. Info at the Parlay in All Blue. And we are here and we'll we'll be back. Thanks. We appreciate you here at the Parlay in All Blue. Please tell someone about us. Share the podcast. Make sure you leave a comment. You can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, or Stitcher. Wherever you receive your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure that you add us as a favorite. Follow us or subscribe. Whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in. We want to say a big thanks to DJ Marky G for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast. We appreciate it, bro. Much love. Thank you again. I'm out.